Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast, everybody. Thank you for listening. As always, Carrie and the production team, we appreciate you. Thanks for everything. And today, Dr. Bud Pagan is with us. Bud, how you doing, my friend? Uh, Dave, I don't think I could be better. I say it every time, and so do you. You are consistent. You are a rock. Dave, it's true. It is true. It's, when do we break the uh, news of what hap- is happening for 2024 in your life? Do we save that or do we let that we cat out of the bag? We save that. That cat comes out of the bag in 2024. Okay. And it's a good cat too, everybody. It's a good one. So everything's good with uh, with Dr. Bud. Uh, so let's jump in today. And um, today it's topic. We've had some great guests on lately. Frank Cespedes from Harvard. Uh, we've had Tim Wright on the uh, co-founder of his technology company and Super Bowl champion with the Patriots. So it's been a good couple of weeks, bud. And uh, I look forward to this topic that you and I have been waiting to talk about. And that is how to lead people and teams to greatness. How to lead people and teams to greatness. That's a topic you and I talk a lot about. Uh, not only inside sports, but outside of sports, we've both come to the realization, and I don't even know if it's come, we've been talking about it forever, without quality leadership, good luck, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to comment on Frank, I, I mean, Frank was impressive, I got to tell you, if people haven't listened to that, they should give it a check, uh, yeah, Frank, Frank's an impressive man, I, I really love that interview. Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about this, too. And as you get older, it becomes clearer. And I think when I was younger, I didn't realize this. Um, Man, leadership is everything. It really is. It really it's a separator, right? It's a differentiator. Uh, It's the reason it's the reason people get to higher levels. And it's the reason, you know, certain levels of success and achievement, um, particularly sustained success. You know, especially in sports, everybody can get lucky with the one season, the superstar athlete and what have you. But I think the persistent, consistent winners um, are the ones that have just tremendous leadership. Well, it's interesting, too. Well, we'll stay within sports for a second. If you remember, call when we had Miles Boykins, a friend of the show and a friend of the family on in June, I believe. And Miles plays, he's in year five playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was all about, it all starts with leadership from top down. And his, he played for the Ravens with John Harbaugh and their leadership team. And now he's with the Steelers and Tomlin, Omar, and their leadership team. And then Tim Wright, who we just had on recently, before he started his technology company, he played on the New England Patriots Super Bowl champion team 2015. He said the same thing. And I asked him the question. You remember, but I said, all right, my brother and I always go back and forth. Is it Brady or Belichick? 
And he said, it's both. Yeah. It's both. It's not one or the other. It's yeah. that leadership. And Brady took all of his learnings from the Patriots and brought it to the Buccaneers. So that leads into this topic today, which is uh, leading people's and leading people and teams to greatness. And the, the strategies and tips we're going to share with people today is you don't have to be the top of the food chain. Obviously, to maximize your organization from top down, leadership needs to be aligned, the culture. With that said, we're going to be sharing things that you can do if you are a first line leader and you're managing eight to 10 people in your world, you're going to have tips of what you can control within your team and then potentially spread throughout to people above you in the organization if there is a miss. So the things we're going to talk about, they're not just for the CEO, the business owner, and the president. These are for your first, second line leaders, managers, coaches out there, coaching teams. So I just want to be crystal clear on that because we might give some examples of business owners and some famous people. But this is for first line leaders out there in your areas that you're covering and leading. This is the head of it. This is the head nurse in the operating room who has a team of people. Right, bud? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is for everybody. Everybody leads something, right? Whether you're, yes. leader, you know, at home with your, your partner and, you know, kids or whatever it is. So I, I think these are skills that are applicable um, through a variety of, uh, you know, life experiences. And, and, uh, and the better you are with these skills, I, I do think the, the more content you are, the happier you are, the more successful you are, the less drama and chaos there is in your life. And, and it also teaches you how to handle better the chaos and drama that's in everybody's lives. Yes. And life is wonderful and amazing, but it's hard. And I always remind clients that whether it's the one-on-one -on -one work we do or when I'm doing team leadership development is life is great. Let's not lose sight of that when we're going through this, these tough moments. With that said, it's also really tough and challenging. And it can drain us all, all of us, if we look in the mirror and we're honest, that's why you're so valuable. That is why you're so valuable. That's the whole point. Your leadership is critical in good times and not so good times. I'm going to name people when we think of great leaders. I'm also going to throw people names in there. And you throw some too, bud, if you have any, that people have no idea who they are. And that is, so let's throw out some good people, leaders that you and I think of. Abraham Lincoln, our first president, is a great leader. Yeah, this I mean, one, go ahead. I just, I just finished reading Team of Rivals about Lincoln. Uh, 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 I mean, he's obviously acknowledged as a great leader. Now, my ignorance is, oh, yeah, he's a great leader, you know. But I think when you read about the things he did and the way he managed difficult situations, uh, I mean, brilliant. Brilliant leadership, uh, huge emotional IQ, uh, no ego, um, was just so unemotional in the best sense of the way, because there were people that went after him, obviously, um, and how he managed those situations. There were some examples of when Congress and even in his own cabinet, uh, one of his cabinet members ran against him uh, in this sort of stealth uh, uh uh, candidacy for presidency, and and he knew about it and how he managed that brilliantly, 
to undermine his candidacy, but yet keep him close and allowed him, the the guy, the cabinet member to save face um, because he was valuable in his cabinet so that he could still use his talents and value to help the government and the country and his presidency, um, but yet minimized his risk and threat to him to undermine him. I mean, it was it's absolute brilliance how he was able to do all that, because most people, once they heard that, would have just cut him. Right. Would yes. have fired him. And yes. for insubordination and what have you. And Lincoln was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that because of these other things. And I mean, it's it just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, another one I think of Sean O'Neill, who was a second level manager for me, was a great leader. And the way he did it, and he led us and the listening skills and understanding and empathizing and still getting us to where we need to go and making you feel like, yes, we can do it. Uh, Winston Churchill, which I know, I know that's a big one for you. So you got something there. I know that he's, a, yeah. he's on your list. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, Churchill obviously is big and, and, and again, the one the, I'll, I'll start with the negative. I mean, he was obviously a huge ego and came from a very affluent, well-to-do family and sort of felt entitled to run the world because he just felt so confident that he could run the world. Um, so that, you know, that's sort of that's hard to mimic and not something we're advocating. Um, but the way he saw the world, obviously, so clearly and had the courage to stand up, uh, you know, particularly, obviously, to Hitler and say, you know, this is if you read what Hitler is saying and he was saying it in the 20s about what his intentions were. It is obvious what he's going to do. And we need to stand up and have the courage to say, no, it ends here. Um, and then all the other things he did to rally the British people um, around their own nationalism and give them the confidence uh, when it was very, very dark uh, that they would rise and survive and thrive. And at the end of the day, they would be the ones who came out on top. And so obviously, you know, remarkable leadership skills there. Bud, I'm glad you started off with the negative on Churchill. I believe that's an excellent point for all of us. I don't, I know I'm not a perfect leader. No, but I don't know if anybody's perfect. We all have opportunities to get better at leadership. And if Winston Churchill, if Pygon One Consulting was around back then, we would have been a good client. He would have been a good client of us because we could have helped him. We all need it as leaders out there, whoever you are and whatever level you're at, right? You, you need somebody in your life to help and support you. Uh, I've only read one book on Churchill. You've read a lot more than I've had, so you know him. But I think of one of the things that jumps out at me, and please correct me if I'm wrong from your perspective, alignment. In, or, in organizations throughout we talk about this all the time with our leaders is getting alignment with your teams during difficult times, uh, good times, just being aligned to go where you want to go. We, you have to be aligned. Think about what he was aligning. In that journey that he was courageous in getting people to do and follow. Right. I, well, yeah. And, and people forget, you know, I mean, he got voted. He was prime minister and got voted out. Right. Because he rubbed enough people the wrong way uh, and was a little bit of a bully. Um, 
and uh, and so he rubbed enough people the wrong way. So in the in the good times of post World War One, uh, the the strengths he offered and provided were valued less because people didn't have that sense that they needed that. And and some of it was political payback, uh, for sure, because that's a dirty game. We all know that. Uh, but when things got tight and hard again, and and Churchill still stuck around and was advocating for certain policies, people realized the value in him and 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 he was the one they turned to the leader they turned to to essentially you know rescue them from from what was happening in europe with hitler so uh but yeah obviously not perfect uh not flawed but but nonetheless great well and also we've heard this often sometimes our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness right well, and he could be an example, but he uh, could be probably is that could be an example for right. Winston Churchill. As I reflect and I dig a little bit more and thinking about when I read his book, that jumped out at me as well. But on well, that you, piece of it. yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, I'd be, I've talked in the past about my four C's of leadership and two of them are caring and courage. Uh, and he possessed an infinite amount of courage uh, and care deeply about the English people. And I think those were two things that were two of his greatest strengths um, and why he was a fabulous leader for them, particularly during the struggles of World War II. Amen. Uh, I think of, I think I don't want to give this woman's last name because I didn't get her approval on talking about, but this woman, Sam, who runs an amazing clinic, massive ophthalmology clinic, healthcare clinic, um, I think there are up to nine, 10 locations, efficiency effect. You cannot run a institution like that without having everything buttoned up, organized, aligned, communication, flawless, never late or very seldom. I mean, you know, as a doctor, but trying to keep everything and all the surgical cases on time and running in that place. I don't want to say it was it, it's a well-oiled machine because that might sound like it's a manufacturing and people are not, but it is just run so smooth and she is absolutely the head of that beast. Well, you know, it's those funny. things that are I'm glad you mentioned uh, a health-related field. You know, people have a lot of misconceptions about the healthcare industry uh, right now, and obviously it's you know multi-trillion dollars, tons of money. Everybody makes money. That's the perception. But what people don't realize the changes that have occurred, at least in the three decades that I've been involved, and obviously didn't know very much when I started, and now I know much more. But it has really shifted dramatically, and and it's made people uncomfortable. And that's where a lot of this complaints about medicine, and even from physicians. But it it has moved from the margins on procedures and healthcare delivery and all that have shrunk so much because the cost of delivery have gone up and other things and what people are paying that really good healthcare businesses now need to be more like businesses. And that rubs people the wrong way. But it mean, what I mean is many things have moved to high volume, low margin businesses, right? Much like other businesses, right? Where you make your money off of providing services at lower expenses to you uh, so you can charge a little bit less than the competitors and get more volume. But to do that, you have to be incredibly efficient. Um, so places like that that are growing and getting bigger and generating the revenue they need to be able to do that, 
so so that you know people can make the money they'd like to make or hope to make in the business is so important and in the older days and i even have seen this in the last 20 years you know the margins were so big that you didn't have to be efficient because you were still making good money yes and 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 so you have a lot of medical practices hospitals and the like and physicians who still are functioning in that old paradigm and they're struggling because it doesn't exist anymore. And so they can't figure out why they can't make it, why it's not easier, why they're not making the money they make, or why their patients aren't satisfied, why the business doesn't flow as well as they want, why there are these hiccups and and constant things that they're struggling with, administrative things more than patient care things. Um, you know, and again, they I think they haven't made that step um, that so much of business is really medicine is really moved into low margin, high volume. And so, you know, and how do you eliminate unnecessary, wasteful expenses? Um, having people sit around and wait, people don't want to wait anymore. I mean, it's remarkable to me cause I'm in it. So I understand like I have people complain that they waited a half hour, you know, for the surgery cause it were delayed 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, man, that's pretty good. Right. On a day to day basis, you know, after the second case, we're usually an hour behind. So the fact that it's only 30 minutes behind is a good day to me. And that's horrible for them because that's just the expectation now. So if she's running a business where people aren't waiting, there are healthcare places now where they don't have chairs in the waiting room because they've managed their businesses. And that's intentional. They've managed their businesses so well that they treat it like a almost like a highly efficient restaurant for a reservation. So if your reservation's at seven, your expectation is you're going to sit down at seven. And that's how they run their healthcare facilities. There's only a couple. These are elite boutique yes. places, right? Yes. And 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 most of healthcare hasn't caught up. But think about that: is you come into your doctor's office now, there isn't a chair because if your appointment's at 10 and you show up at 10, you're going to walk in and sit down and be seen. There isn't a need for a waiting room because they don't <laughs> wait, right? That's yeah. how good they run their business. Now, isn't that a place you'd go back to? Yes, let's be. Hey, we got to be fair for uh, for all our friends and doctors and clinics yeah, yeah. and all of that are good friends of yours and I's. Um, what Bud just described that's like that's like less than one percent. So, oh, yeah, for sure. I only, I only, everyone, I only you're not going to find that, everybody. No, I only that, know two places. I only know two places like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, but again, that's that you know, we talk about this right, uh, uh, normal versus optimal. Uh, right. I've been reading Peter, Peter Atiyah's uh, book on Outlet, and he talks about that all the time about, you know, we're not we shouldn't be striving for normal. We should be striving for optimal. And so when I was doing more management stuff uh, at the hospital, those were the kind of places I talked about because I said, well, we need to do what they do. Step by step, little by little, so that we can get closer and closer to achieving that. As opposed to the norm is you wait for an hour. Well, that's not, I mean, that's normal, but that's not okay. No, no. And yeah, I, I'm reading Dare to Lead by Brene Brown right now. And then you've got me reading Atia's book, I Live. And I love what he said, because we all know there's got to be even more changes in the health industry. That's just the way it is. Uh, there's many things spectacular, but there's many things that obviously we know are not where they need to be. But he, when he talks about, you pay me when he was, you know, pay me to treat diabetes when someone has it, but you don't pay me to stop people from getting it. Correct. And it's a very interesting. So well, let's move on there before we get too built in. Uh, um, I just thought she deserves some a, a shout out for people. Again, 
this is not about being famous, being a great leader to excellence. So, and then some of the great ones here, Martin Luther King, John Wooden, those two are right at the top of the list. Martin Luther King, I think, is a no-brainer. I don't know if anyone would disagree with that one. I can tell you, I've read a little bit about him, too, and some of the things that you talk about the courage, right? And again, I, I hate to harp on that because that's a huge thing for me um, as leadership. But the courage to get out and speak the message of of racial equality, fairness, right? You know, long for the day when my children are judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And you say, oh, those are great words, blah, blah. But he knew his life was under threat. He had death threats all the time and they were growing more intense. And, and some of the things that his people uncovered about the plots got more sophisticated and he was scared to death that the assassination that ultimately came was coming, right? And yet, yet he had the courage to continue to go out and speak the truth, his truth, right? I mean, how many of us are that kind of leader? I don't know how he slept. Because when you read, when he, you he, read some of that stuff, I don't know. I would have been sleeping with one eye open, but Absolutely. And he was scared to death, he, he, yeah. right? Right? And the whole, you know, the whole Memphis thing, there was a vibe about that. He almost didn't even go. Right. He almost didn't even go. And right. back then you didn't you didn't have security cameras every 10 feet. No, no. Like, like if, anybody, if anybody's no. ever been, if anybody goes to Memphis, I highly encourage, man, go to the Civil Rights Museum. It's a remarkable experience. They've incorporated the Lorraine uh, Motel where, where, where King was shot um, in into and made turn that into a civil rights. So it's it's an eerie, moving, powerful experience to see how unsophisticated and simple. I mean, it's like a Motel 6 and you go, here's what we consider one of the greatest leaders of the world and here's where he spent his last night, right? You think about today, right? The great leaders of the world or the corporate leaders. I mean, these guys are staying in, you know, Ritzes and, you know, penthouses and I mean, living the life of luxury. It was nothing like that for him. No, 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 no. So he's clearly on there. It's a yeah, no-brainer, yeah. everybody's. Everyone listening's nodding their head on this one, or yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, if they're not, not you, these are these are not hot takes. No, no, these are not. But you, there's things from them. And you mentioned courageousness, bud. And and I've come to your I've come to your side on this one. Uh, I always believed it was one of the top three, but now I'm to your point. It's the top one. I, I even example this week talking to a, a leader, uh, a first second line leader and we were talking about this and it, the challenge ultimately was it came down to being courageous that's ultimately what it was it yeah. really came down of being able to stand your ground in a nice way a kind way but ultimately standing your ground saying we've changed which means you're going to have to change and that doesn't mean we don't like each other. It doesn't mean we don't respect each other. It just means the job has evolved. Right. And if you don't want to do the job now, I totally respect that. But the job has evolved, which that means we have to evolve as well. Right. And that's a courageous conversation because that's the problem. When things happen in the business world, wh whatever it might be, technology change, the market changes, interests, whatever. That change means we have to change to it somewhat to be successful. 
And that's why that ongoing learning, developing just has to occur. And that's why some people, are, they still go, oh, the job's getting harder. Well, it is, but it's even harder if you don't evolve and change to meet the demand of what the job is. Because if you can't, you keep doing it the way you're doing it, and now I've just added two things to your life. Yeah, it's harder. And it's more time now because you haven't evolved and cut something, which is going to cause courage. And I always tell them, maybe it's you're going to have to cut time with this. You might have to cut time on some of the things that you, you're doing with your clients that it's going to be a conversation that you're going to have to have, which would take courage because you don't have the time to do what you were doing. Did I say that right, bud? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, obviously, you know, and again, when we go back to the, the courage conversation that we've that we already had uh, on one of the podcasts, we're not talking about going into meetings and, oh, I'm speaking my truth and I've got the courage to stand up to the powers and blah, blah. No, we're talking about being incredibly thoughtful about how to move your organization and your team, whatever it is on whatever level you're at forward, having the courage to do that. Um, and, and if you just go in and just drop a bomb on meetings, it's not going to be successful. And frankly, that isn't courageous. Um, you may, it may feel courageous, but doing something that is guaranteed to not succeed is not courageous, right? We're talking about having the courage to stick your neck out and do the hard things, but do them in a way so that you can possibly succeed, um, and work in that. So, so I think it's a really, really important concept. I, I've, I've had this conversation with a couple of people, um, you know, when I had more of a leadership role at the hospitals, like, listen, I'm not telling you, you need to be different. You can be however you want to be. You just can't be that way here. So if you want to move on or need to move on, or if you, if you need us to move you on, that's fine. Right. But you just can't be that way here anymore. Yes. And so let's just jump in, bud. There were some more people we had, but I, you know, we talk about Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Julius Caesar. I think of my high school basketball coach. Uh, there's so many other, you think of really, really quality. Uh, Popovich on the Spurs, Tomlin on the Steelers, to stay in sports. But yeah. let's now jump into some strategy tips and ideas to help people. And, and let's stay on this courageous one because that is one of the, strategies, tips, reminders, whatever we people would like to take or what we call it and that they could use. Uh, courageous, to be courageous, quick and gentle. What I mean by that is if you have to give or share something with somebody that's a, uh, that takes courageous to you, maybe that's giving them a, a, a review, a six month review or end of the year, that's not going to be good. And it's a person you really like and respect. And maybe they're normally really good performers, but that year and to you, it's going to take courageousness to deliver that quick and gentle. Delivering bad news personally. Uh, and let me give you an example. Probably not a good time to do small talk, talk with them. Hey, bud. Great, man. How you been, bud? How's the family? How's the kids? How are things going? And you're just delaying it. Be quick. Hey, bud. Good to see you and jump right in. Do it gently, but do it quickly. Get right to the point. I, I like that one too, because I think so much we put off and it's nice to set the tone of the meeting up front. And I've done this before. I said, you know, I, I called you to meet with you. This is a very hard conversation that I'm about to have. And I just want to let you know, and, and then go into it as opposed to, like you say, some of the niceties, you know, it's, it kind of 
disarms them if they're sitting here thinking you're having this, you know, how's the family kind of meeting when it's when that isn't the reason you call to meet with them. Yes, it's people. People aren't always going to like what we say when we lead them. Right. But you can. I always believe if you stay with your integrity and you stay with your core values, you can go to bed at night because people ultimately just want the truth. That's, that's all they want is the truth. They, they might not like it, but they want you to be honest with them. They don't want you to mislead them. And one of the things I, I read, um, I just finished reading, by the way, another book that I think I gave it to you, but I read it again, was Chris Foss's Never Split the Difference. Oh, yeah. I've read that. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave that to you years ago after I took the course. Um, and I also listened to Huberman's podcast recently when Chris Foss was on there and they were talking about your voice because Voss has a very, very calming, low voice. And he's Chris Foss, for people out there who don't know him, he it was a hostage negotiator. His job was to get hostages released. And Huberman went in the data with low pitched voices when you start talking like this it can calm situations down and there's real data behind it so if anyone wants to listen to huberman's podcast with chris voss they get into the data about when you lower your voice how it's calming to the person and your brain can't stop from you not calming down it's really interesting so what i'm recommending is for people who've had to deliver some of this tough news, change your voice. Start to go low. You might get that people to follow because your brain can't stop it. It was pretty cool. I'm sorry, yeah. bud. You were going to say something? Yeah, yeah. That's a, you know that, and that goes into some of the things we've harped on in these in the different podcasts. And we believe in, um, and certainly not how I was raised. Uh, you know that, you know I certainly was raised more in the oh leadership is something you were born with. Uh, but these are all skills, and that's a skill. You can work on that. You know, that controlling your emotions, controlling the pitch of your voice, you can practice that. I think Voss even mentions that a little bit about how he, re he would record himself um, yes. here, right, so that he got into this sort of rhythm of practicing, of speaking like that. Because in those hard situations, those intense situations, and he describes many um, where, you know, you're dealing with people that are on edge, right, the ones that have captured and ho holding people hostage, Um you know, usually aren't that stable. Um, uh, he also has great points in about how he knew who the decision makers were by how people spoke to him. And he even would call people out like, well, let me let me talk to the person who's really going to make the decision here, because I, I know it's not you. Uh, just by the way, the person what the person said and how they were talking to him. I thought that was fascinating. But these are skills. Um, and you got uh, me thinking, bud, because he also <laughs> talks about when. He would have a good under feeling for if, the, if they were, he said, ask somebody a question. And I implemented this in the last three weeks. What, what he would say to the people that were, had, were holding these hostages, he would say to them, what is your vision or how do you see you relinquishing the hostages? If they did it, if they turned it back on him, 
with a con and did, doesn't don't does not give him anything. Like, well, we, we would have him at the river. He knew at that moment there wasn't even a thought that those hostages are coming home. I thought that was fascinating. So yeah. how I'm using yep. it at work is I am asking my clients now, and I think this is a great tip that us leaders can use with our employees, is asking them. I, so I'm asking, so how do you how do you see us working together on this? How do you see us moving forward with this leadership development program? How do you vision us implementing Win the 16? And by their communication back to me, but I can see where they're at. I just had one the other day and Bill was able to go, well, I see is this, this and this. And then he's like, well, what do you think? He was able to give me. So he's already thought about how we could potentially do this. Now it's my job to you know, help support him. I had somebody else didn't have a clue. So all right. it said to me was we're at the beginning of this journey. Right. And that's the takeaway for everyone out there is by asking the question that the way Mr. Chris Foss is articulating, you'll get a good idea how your employee or your client, where they're at in the process. Uh, the hostages didn't even think of, they had no thought. And he knew at that time, uh-oh, they're either never letting these people go or I am in the first stages of this, of moving them down the line of getting these hostages back safe. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it is fascinating, too, as you, you look at how do you de-escalate? Um, you know, the world's talking about this a little bit right now between, you know, what's going on in Hamas and Israel. Right. Is how, how do we find a way to de-escalate the situation? Right. So that there isn't more bloodshed and harm, because at the end of the day, there's got to be some kind of peace. So how do we get there sooner rather than later? Obviously, outrageously complicated. Uh um, and, but that, that's true in all the situations we encounter is like, how do we deescalate and get to a place, right, with less harm? And we all know that when people get emotional, um, you know, it's just human. I mean, how many of us have cut our nose off despite ourselves, right? Just because we're all fired up in the moment and I'm not going to give you. And even though at the end of the day, this is worse for you. Right. But your emotional is I, I'm, I'd rather harm you, even if it harms myself more, because that's more important to me right now. And how do you get to a point where you're thinking a little bit less emotionally and more rationally and clearly? And, you know, Voss obviously was brilliant at that and gives a lot of good tips on how to do that. Things we can all use in every day, to, you know, our day to day lives. Now that I think about it, Voss's words were vision creates decision. That was the word. Love it. Vision creates decision. If right. people start to picture it, they then are on that road down the path. Right. And that's what I've been using with clients. Now. I started a couple of weeks ago and it's really it's been very helpful to see where they're at in the process of working with me. And I'm obviously not a hostage negotiator. Uh, OK, let's move on. Okay. Uh, well, I can tell you, too, you talk, you know, you hit on a couple really important things that come back. Right. And again, the, my four C's of leadership. Right. Courage. And then how important communication is. You mentioned that you can't communicate enough. If people know what you're thinking, it makes it easier for them to follow along. Uh, caring and compassion. Right. Uh, if they know you care about them and you act with compassion in situations, it is much easier to lead people. Because, again, it's not as even as much as leading, leading as is getting those people to follow you. 
and people will follow caring, compassionate, courageous, communicative leaders. Well, great job. We think alike sometimes, my friend. You just hit two and three, and caring is the next one. People will not follow a leader if they don't believe they would care. That has got to be the first one. And I want to make sure caring is different. It's not necessarily liking somebody. If you know somebody cares about your career and your profession, that's different than like. There's some little subtleties to that. This person cares about me which I would find if someone really truly cares about my career, I probably would like them. Right. Because not everybody does. But that's not the goal. The goal is as a leader is to show you care. And sometimes caring is telling you the tough truth that hurts, which in turn, some people might not want to hear it. And then in turn, they might not necessarily like you because that's just them. But you are demonstrating that you care by being honest and upfront. And that's what I mean by that, because people might be listening to Dave, wait a minute. If you care about me, I'm going to like you, of course. You would think that you would think that. And for me, yes. But sometimes by caring, we're delivering some tough stuff. Uh, I'll give you an example. Telling somebody this job. Is not for you. Right. You're amazing. You're great at this, this and this. The job. What it takes is none of that. Right. And you're amazing. I think about I think about uh, our friend John Ross. He tells a story about the high school kid who. As a freshman in high school, wants to play basketball, uh, unfortunately, just not very good, uh, just not very good. And. You know, do you keep him as the 15th, 16th, 18th, 19th, 20 kid, not tall, not talented? Um, that whole, hey, everybody makes the team kind of mindset. Let's include everybody. Well, he got cut. He turned out to be a all-state runner. Amazing. They did uh, him a Correct. And the parents will tell you that. Yep. And the parents will tell you that. And it goes back to me. We all have gifts. It just might not be in this. You might not be a great. You might not be great at math. Now, you do have to do it enough to pass your classes. You do have to enough to learn math because it's a skill you're going to use the rest of your life. But you might not be a mathematician. And that's fine. You might be something else. Um, right. So that's where that caring. I, I probably spent a little too much time on that. But I wanted to be crystal clear on um, that because I think a lot of us would say, wait a minute. If I had a boss who cared about me, I would love them. Yeah. What I'm talking about is caring sometimes is telling your kids, no, that's caring. And then yeah. they're, mad at, they're mad at you for the entire weekend. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I would say to me, caring is right up there with courage um, because I don't know. Obviously, communication, compassion are all important, but I don't, I, you know, obviously courage, I'd beat that too. But if you don't care, you know, you can be the world's greatest communicator, but you're leading your ability to get people to follow you. Uh, will be limited because people will find will figure out in short term that you don't really care about them. You just happen to be a great communicator. Maybe you're a great leader, courageous, but at some point you'll be limited by that. You you had prepped me a little bit with this about asking about coaches. And I can tell you, I, I wasn't blessed with great coaches. Um, and the ones I would say that I, uh, 
I reflect more, most fondly with or back at were my grammar school coaches. And these were basically just dads who did it on the side. Uh, but I always had the sense that they really cared about me. Right. Oh, you mean, okay, but oh, and you the, mean because back in the day, these guys worked and a lot of them in a blue collar job, busting their hump all day, bagging a lunch. And then the reward is to come coach you and I football at right. night and bas- seven o'clock or basketball and yeah. then travel us on the weekends. Um, you know, and back in those days, it wasn't popular. Yeah, they had to care because those guys were working their tails off up at five o'clock in the morning. And then they're with us at seven o'clock at night. Right. And the basketball guys, I, I even look back, like I don't even know who they were, where they came from. Like they didn't even have kids on the team. These were just two guys who were, you know, again, they cared. And I remember how they would take us around to games and then take us out to eat after, um, you know, we were in back in the old days and that, you know, we were a sixth grade team playing up because there weren't sixth grade leagues. So we were getting our butts handed to us. And when we finally broke through and won a game, how excited they were and took us all out. And, you know, you just had this sense of, uh, again, they cared. The football coach cared. Um, and you yeah. had Michaels, correct? Uh, uh, yes. For basketball. Yes. You had Michaels for basketball. Then you had you had Frank for right. football, Kishka. Oh, I, had John Ma- I had John Madden for basketball. Right. Um, John did not have a, any kids on the team. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, he was not an X and O's guys. I, right. I don't want to say... Already at the when he was coaching me because I was on sixth grade playing on his eighth grade team, I don't want to say uh, I was smarter than him at that time. But after you teaching me and all that, uh, I knew as probably as much as he did on X's and O's. But while he was brilliant, he loved us, man, and he cared about us. I think he got a van to take us around because we got to the point we were pretty good, and he would take us into the inner city to play Beasley. And all these places, uh, because me and somebody else on the team were pretty good, and we had to get out of just our Chicago area to get developed. And he cared, man. Yep. Well, even like Frank, when we lost in eighth grade, I mean, the guy was crying. And he didn't have any kids on the team. And then obviously I went to high school, you know, at Carmel because of him. And, and just the, that sense of caring deeply about you as a person. Right. Yep. And so I still think fondly of him and the other coaches I played for. You know, I, I don't I don't hold any animus toward them, but I, I don't hold them in high esteem either. Right. I'm grateful for the opportunity to play. And I loved it, obviously. But but I don't you know. And then in my freshman football coach, I would say that about Sesniak. Uh, he was he was another one. Tremendous energy and positivity and cared deeply. I felt he cared deeply about us as kids. Right. And so I would look and he didn't even coach me, really, because I played defense and he was the offensive guy. He was the head coach, but he basically ran the offense. I saw him over the winter time, but and he remembered you. I went up to him and introduced myself to him again. And he's like, oh, I remember you, Dave. You were the little guy. You were at all our games. And he said, how is Bud doing? Right. I mean, people don't care, don't remember you 50 years later. Well, it's not 50, 40 years later. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so so I, I think that's huge. No, that is a great one. So caring, and it's so interesting. Most of the time, 
when I was across from people who were leading me, um, I, you know, I mentioned Sean O'Neill earlier, I think of Christian Doucet, I think of Tom Dooley, they actually cared. Uh, a lot of the other guys, I thought, cared to a degree, but they wanted to get back to get me to lead the teams, or if I was an individual contributor, just to sell more. They wanted to go, okay, I want to really get onto this. I want to make sure everything's good. And now I want to get back to what I really want to talk about is driving more numbers so we can hit our numbers and blah, blah, blah. That's right. just the truth of it. And those, and you know what? Those women and men that were that way, I, I don't hold any – they were no. fine. No. They were average. They weren't like every other normal – Every they were fine. They weren't bad. I just wouldn't say they were good either. Right. Well, again, right. let's go. It's 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 a Tia's thing, right? It's a uh, normal. Are you striving for normal slash average, or are you striving for optimal, right? And and uh, I think that's the greatest thing I'm taking away so far from Atia's book is let's shoot for optimal, because that's where the difference is. That's that's where the pleasure is. That's where the joy is. Um, that's where the special is. So that leads me into the next point for people. So we to we talked about courage. We, you mentioned communication. We've had a whole podcast on that. You yes. got to communicate. And the communication has to be one-on-one. -on -one. It, it has to be. The the, oh, the end of the week group calls are great. They're fine. But those are usually, in my opinion, I tell people, those are to share information. Those are bullet point. Here's what I, we need to communicate this week. The real work gets done one-on-one -on -one when you can unpeel the onion with somebody yep. and really get that communication. We talked about caring at length, which is if you if you don't get that taken care of, you're never going to get optimal and maximize the opportunity with your person, which leads into the next one, trust. And trust is built every day. And if you don't build it every day, you're going to lose it. Right. And people don't come in trusting necessarily. It's not that they don't they distrust, but but they're always there's always a little bit of hesitation about how much they can share. We were talking about this earlier about even in coaching, right? When you're with your your individual coaches, and when I work with my coach, right? You know, well, how much do you share? I mean, it, it takes people. Um, I remember the one the one uh, leadership class I took. This one woman came in and it, and she was fabulous. And she talked about with her direct reports, her big thing was she tries to meet with her. She not tries. She meets with her direct reports 15 minutes every week just to check in and talk with them one on one. And she goes, it's time consuming. I get it. And, you know, obviously, if you have 30 people, that's what somebody said. Well, what if I got 30 people? She said, you know, you probably can't lead 30 people intimately like this. So maybe you need to restructure. Uh, and so that's another conversation, but she says, you know, I met with my people. She goes, I said, I want to hear everything. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what's going on with you. I want to know how I can help you. I want to know where I'm making mistakes, where I can be better. She says it, these are people that I'd work with felt trusted me. It took most of them six to nine months before we had meaningful conversations because it took that long for them to really buy into what I was trying to do and trust me that these conversations would be meaningful, fruitful, and wouldn't be held against them. Right. Six to nine months for real trust to be conveyed in conversation. People she had worked with and had been leading when she started doing this, she goes, it was mind blowing um, 
when it finally happened and she goes, it was so frustrating to get there because I couldn't understand why. And it was really a trust factor and, and how far we've, she goes, I've been able to move the organization and help these people and them help me because then they were really honest with me about the things where I was, had blind spots, but it was six to nine months of meeting weekly. She goes, some of those conversations were painful because it was a lot of silence. Oh, well. And that silence is good. I teach people in my public speaking. If you ever lose your train of thought and you have that pause because you're trying to regain it and they always go, well, Dave, yeah, I feel the audience sees that. I go, that's actually good to be honest with you because pause shows confidence. It also reengages the people that just go on and on and on. It, you become a run on sentence in people's brains. So when you take that pause in your public speaking or in a conversation, it re-engages the other person or the audience because they it triggers them like something happened and now they're re-engaged again. It's so subtle. Right. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, so, so far we've got courage, caring, trust, communication. Leading people and teams to greatness, you need stamina and energy. Oh, for sure. Let me say it again. You need stamina and energy because let me give an example here real quickly. Your people are going to wear you out at times. Why? They're people. And they're going to share their problems. And some of the challenge that they have in the organization are real. I mean, let's let me say that again. They are real. Let's take the easy layup one that everybody's dealing with. Supply chain. It's real. Most organizations have products that are they're short on supply or they're out of stock and it's causing angst for the clients, which then in turn, that means it's causing angst for the salespeople, organization, whoever it might be. And the leaders out there, it's real and your teams could be wearing you out on this. And I am not saying that we do not acknowledge this, we absolutely do, but we cannot allow our stamina down and our energy to be worn out by this. And that is where we have to do with self-awareness of ourselves at that moment. That is where if we feel ourselves getting worn out, that's the time where we gotta take a time out. That's the time where maybe we need to take a break because people will feed off that. And if we let our guards down, and I don't mean guards in terms of not being open to people. I mean, we have to address these issues and we have to do the best we can with these people to move forward with them. And stamina and energy as a leader, I believe right now is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Leading people isn't, isn't a 40-hour, nine-to-five job. And again, I don't mean that... Your job needs to be your whole life, and I'm not saying that at all. But but people need you when they need you. And again, it it, it this is I don't want to come up where like you're always available all the time. But but again, that's where the stamina and energy come in, right? People need you when they need you, right? And so you have to find some way to have energy and stamina to be able to address that and be ready for it and handle it more often than not. Um, so it, it I completely agree with you. Which leads into uh, the next tip. This is not just for leaders. This is for anyone listening out there. React 
react versus respond. React versus respond. Most people react. React is quick. You say something, bud, and I react. Respond is more conscious. It's more thoughtful. Responding could be, I need to think about that. Responding could be asking a question, but tell me more. Um, responding could be, could we park that? I need to think about that and come back tomorrow. Reacting usually is very quick and boom, we just respond. We react very quickly to that. Uh, an example might be, I'll throw this one out at you. And that could be with a with a client potentially who says, let's go in the finance world. But my, my portfolio, I'm down 20%. And if I was your wealth advisor on the other side, I respond, react might be something like this. Well, the market on average is down 30%. That's not necessarily what that woman or man on the other end wants to hear. Not at all. Okay, but that would be an example. You should be grateful you're not down 30. Correct, and that's how it comes across. And now I understand what our good friend Ari, now now he's an amazing, amazing, amazing finance guy at Merrill. He wouldn't say that. Um, He's probably laughing now when he's listening to this. But somebody might say that because – why? The client might come across a little bit aggressive. That might be a huge client to them. They don't want to lose them. Right. And, their reaction, and their reaction was just quickly not as well thought out if they look back retrospectively. We've all done it. A response might be something like this with that person who said they're down 20%. It might look something like this, bud, is, bud, I understand where you're coming from with that. Tell me what you're thinking. Well, what I'm thinking is we're down 20%. Yeah, has anything changed in our strategic plan with you short-term and long-term? Start changing my voice, going low, getting you to say, well, no, but it's upsetting that we're down 20%. I, under, I understand. I just want to see, is, do, do, you need, are you, do you need cash right now? Are you, is there something imminent in your managing of your finances right now? Well, no. Okay. And see where we're trying to get them to talk, bud, and open up. Like, where is this coming from that you're talking about the market being down? You're getting that. It's something saying, hey, let me do some homework for you. Can I call you back in 15 minutes? Can I call you back in an hour and dive into this and let me get some facts in front of me for you? Maybe that's a way to respond. To maybe calm the situation down. Did I say that right? Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing too is I'm sitting here thinking if, so if, like you mentioned, it's a big client. So if this is a whale for you, right? And you're, as a leader, are feeling threatened by their tone and the way they're, you know, it's a, aggressive and attacking, and you're reading into it as like, well, he's or she's down 20%. So, you know, they're going to pull their money and that's going to hurt me. And, and so if you get, if you're insecure, if it plays, I shouldn't say that. If it plays into some of your insecurities about this client, 
or you feel threatened by them because they're very aggressive in attacking, you may be more likely to react. Um, and so I think that that whole react versus respond is a great, it's subtle and nuanced, but it's a great way to, to think and frame it. Yes, the way I usually just explain it to people is react is fast and quick. Yeah. That's it. If yeah. you're playing basketball or sport, you need to react. You don't have time. You need to know that playbook and know the defense, all that. Brilliant. In the business world, in medicine, you know, more often than not, we have time to respond. Right. And to be taking a step back. Usually, not all the you're a, for all my doctors out there, if you're in the middle of a surgical procedure, you know, maybe at that moment or uh, in the ER room, I, I get it. No, but no. Generally I, speaking, we right. have opportunities to balance when we have to respond. And most of the time, we don't have to react. We can respond with well thought out conscious behavior. Go ahead, bud. But I think, you know, that's your, your the, the important part is the, the well thought out and that they're even in most situations, even in medicine, you know, a cardiac arrest, a, an unusual situation, an acute MI, whatever, um, you would say, oh, that's a reaction. But really, if we're doing it right and doing medicine right, it's a response because we are well, we should be well trained and well practiced in managing those situations. So instead of reacting to them, we're just responding to them because we've been prepared for them. And I would argue this, it's similar in sports, uh, you know, and again, sure. obviously not exact analogies, but the people who watch a ton of film and practice, 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 right. And go through and are well coached and talk about these are situations you're likely to face and here's what a team likes to do against you and when this happens here's how you should think about it and respond and so yeah you've got to react in the moment but really for the best leaders and the best physicians and the best players it's more responding because it, they've gone through these things in their minds and they've practiced them um it's in medicine and like flight you know uh you know uh simulation training um, you know, you think of Sully and the plane that he landed. Um, oh, in Hudson? It, yeah, three minutes from hitting the geese to putting it down in the water, right? And and did he react? Absolutely. But it was more of a response that he called upon his incredible training. Um, you know, it, they had just actually, because I, I saw a phenomenal lecture on yeah. this co-pilot, and I can't remember the guy's name. He was instrumental as well um, in how they acted as, as a team was phenomenal. But he talked about, you know, we had just gone through a simulation. He goes, we got very lucky. We had just gone through our yearly simulation training. We had actually practiced this exact scenario, both engines going down, a water landing. And so we just went, we just, res we just responded to that with our training. And obviously, brilliant decision making. A lot of pilots who've done the same thing wouldn't have had the same success, uh, what have you. So not to take anything. But again, I would, e I would even argue there that they weren't reacting as much as they were responding. Yes, it's subtle. And for everybody, if anyone subtle. wants to, for any of my critical thinkers out there who want to nitpick the react versus respond, totally right. great. I get it. All we're saying is sometimes communication with people and as leaders and as individuals, and with our wives, our husbands, kids, reacting can be really fast and not as well thought out as 
responding of maybe asking a probing question or two or three and slowing down that conversation potentially. That's all we're saying. So, but as always, our, we could go on. Um, I'm going to name a couple more so we can close off today's podcast. This topic we knew was going to be long because there's so much to it. We're probably going to have to come back to this, bud, because there's so many things we go to. So we talked about caring. We talked about courageous. We talked about trust, communication. Uh, we talked about re- reacting versus responding, being positive, stamina, energy. Uh, we didn't, and we'll have to dive into it another day, but leading by example as a leader is so attractive. Being fair, treating people differently and fair are two different things. I might need something different than you do, but we both need to be treated fairly. Being a listener, we could make an argument that's also number one or 1B of being a good least listener uh, I, I, for people. I put, I put listening as, as, uh, in the communication. Sure. Yeah. And yep. I think it's probably more important than what you say is how you listen to people. Because I don't think you can tell people what they really need to hear if you haven't listened to them. So I, I, I wrap listening under communication. It also makes it cuter and easier for my 4C conversation. A hundred percent. I love that. Uh, accountability, own it. Your team misses their number. You walk in that room, you own it. We missed it. I missed it. Here's what I learned from this quarter. I learned, here's what I need to do. Instead of what happens a lot of times is we pick the two people that missed their number. Now we're going to get to that granular, that micro piece of analysis of the business. But first walking into the room is the leader, kind of that whole Jocko, our Navy SEAL friend that you and I always talk about, own it. I'm responsible for this number, the team of eight people that I oversee as a group, we didn't hit it, but ultimately that was my number and we missed it and own it. It's attractive. It comes across as owning the situation and then sharing what you learn and then you dig into your whys instead of being defensive and as well pointing fingers right out of the gate. That's not really attractive. That's not being a great leader in a room. Uh, last thing, growth mindset as a leader, if you're leading by example and you are a true learner and demonstrating that you're more likely to get a team that is going to follow that because you're always going to ask them to learn and change and evolve. So bud, amazing again, great job. We went way too long as we always do, but it was a, I thought this was a great topic. We're going to have to go back to because there's things we didn't cover today. Before we sign off, anything you want to share? But when we we didn't talk about the importance of uh, um, creating an environment where failure is okay. Yes, uh, because sure. Because we, we always, you know, the old adage is is really true yes. that we always learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. And there's you know infinite infinite number of examples of where incredibly successful people got to their successful product you know, technology, whatever, by a series of failures um, and, and how they didn't use the failure as a, as something that prevented them from moving forward, but actually as a stepping stone to learning and getting even better. That's a really hard thing to do because you can't come in and say, hey, we're all about failing, right? But yet you also have to give people the freedom, the trust, the comfort level to be able to take some risks 
and to fail knowing that that's not the end of their job or position and that it's a place for us to take a, uh, it's a learning tool to, for us to move forward. Right. And obviously there's a lot of subtlety involved in that. Um, We're going to have a whole podcast dedicated that, but yeah. that failure piece, because there's two, there's the asking the people we're leading to be comfortable with it. But then I always challenge my leaders out there. Hey, when they come to you and say, Hey, what I did was well thought it was strategic. I ran it by my accountability partner, uh, my coach. I ran it by you. It didn't work, but here's what we learned. You as the leader cannot say, why did it fail? Okay. What do you, you need to be much more. Hey, I appreciate you doing that. Tell us, tell me more. What did we learn? What was the experience like? What are we going to do? If you don't support it, they will never, ever, ever under your watch do that again. So that's a whole nother topic. Totally. Uh, Bud, great job as always. Phenomenal. Everyone listening today, we sure hope you walked away with some tips, some strategies, ideas. A lot of it are reminders on what we all can do to lead people. And that could be our families. That could be at work. That could be anywhere where we have influence of people. I hope it helps. As always, if you want to reach out to Butterai, please reach out to Pygon1, P-Y-G-O-N-O-N-E.com. If you'd like to have a conversation with Pygon1 Consulting on any topics, could be leadership development. It could be win the 16 and efficiency effectiveness. Please reach out to Pygon1.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, everybody. And until our next podcast, Win the 16. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. Central Time. Thank you and go win the 16.